we're recording now. Um, I'm going to go to the intro. Buckle up. Hello and welcome, alchemists. We've got a soundboard, FYI. We're here today um, recording episode three of We Are Alchemists, and I'm absolutely over the moon to say that we've been joined today by Paul Dimmock. Paul, I think you should introduce yourself because I will do you a disservice. So over to you, my friend. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, so I'm Paul. Um, I've worked in media for around about 10 years now. Around nine years ago, I moved into the um, agency buy side arena of media planning. Uh, firstly, the world's biggest agency operating company, Group M. Uh, my first role there was um, across M4C, across UK government basically specialising in display planning and uh, buying. When the blind network buy was at its peak, um, around 2015. Come on, Ben. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. we've, we have a few people on here that maybe aren't as au fait as us in terms of the ad world. So blind network buy is essentially buying across a network of sites, are we saying, um, without really knowing what those sites are or where specifically you delivered, um, which was rife kind of, what, five, six, seven years ago. Um, when we're all kind of cutting our teeth in the ad tech world. But sorry, go ahead, Paul, interrupt you again. Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, and then uh, 2015, I moved to MEC, uh, now known as Wavemaker, uh, working solely across J&J EMEA brands. Um, it was actually there that I pivoted towards programmatic from an agency and client control point of view, as opposed to the trading, decks, uh, trading desks and the third parties. Um, what was interesting about that role was that Johnson & Johnson formed their own partnership with um, Term Media, the now defunct Term Media, uh, to facilitate their programmatic buying on a managed service. Uh, with the agency overseeing strategy and planning. Um, in 2016, I moved over to Dentsu, I guess, again, one of the world's biggest agency operating companies where I took up a programmatic planning and strategy role, um, focused firstly on Eurostar and Autotrader, and I pivoted to Cara uh, within Adidas's global brand team. Um, the Adidas role was an interesting one where I learned a lot setting up the Adidas uh, Dentsu programmatic hub across EMEA, APAC, LATAM and US. What was poignant about that role was Adidas's sole focus to their own tech relationships with uh, three key tech platforms and DSPs, TrueMogul, now Adobe, MediaMath and Google. Um, essentially what was key about the role was just how Karen basically made, uh, was utilising their trading capabilities. How did you find that? I mean, that's, that's three platforms. They're obviously slightly different was it difficult for you to get continuity in your reporting, to get a real picture of what was going on, to find out what was the best in terms of performance or revenue or whatever? Was that tough to do? Uh, exactly that. It was incredibly diff difficult because essentially you've got three different tech platforms that don't talk to each other. They're kind of, kind of closed tech platforms that don't integrate at all. Um, so kind of what was interesting that I, about that role after about six to, six to eight months is we ascertained that we couldn't work with all of them. We had mm -hmm. to just decide which one of them was sufficient for, I guess, um, Adidas's global KPIs. Um, and then eventually we just got rid of two and then we focused on one. Nice, nice. So I think it's probably fair to say that you've been instrumental in a lot of the world's biggest brands developing their programmatic media buying strategy um, to get to where we are today. So you must have um, seen formats come and go. Um, I always think that Neil was a big proponent of the mobile, his role at Mindshares, head of mobile and digital innovation. But how did you get to audio? I mean, obviously we went from the first ever display ad and mobile was rife, or still is rife, it's a huge format. Um, but yeah, talk to me about audio, how it's become 
the market is today and how you got into it? Well, in terms of how I got into it, it was um, in the latter part of 2017, I decided to move publisher side to News UK, um, again, in a, a programmatic sales and strategy role. Essentially there, I was eager to learn about uh, the other side of the table, not just how publishers manage media agencies, which as we know are essentially their bread and butter, but also to understand how technology companies, be it SSPs, supply side platforms, or brand safety supply uh, providers, um, data management platforms, um, and how and why there are so many actors in a complex advertising process, quote unquote, adding value. Um, essentially, it was it was I was looking to probably leave that role, and uh, News UK, one of our parent companies uh, for Octave, uh, kind of moved into the digital audio space, and they saw that was going to be one of the big things um, from the last couple of years. So, yeah, we decided to come together with um, uh, the second biggest radio. Uh, portfolio in the UK and that's how we created Octave. Nice and surely obviously you spent a long time working at Condé Nast which are largely a, a magazine based publisher arguably the, the best most famous magazine publisher in the world. Was audio ever on their radar or? Well when I was there they were um, looking into video as their main sort of push um, essentially because they've got so many websites uh, and they can push it out across multiple countries so for them it was kind of like centralizing all of that kind of content that was kind of you know borderless in a way i suppose um but yeah not not really for audio i think i guess because magazines are very visual especially yeah. when you think about vogue and things like that um they kind of went down the video route instead but yeah i'm kind of, kind of similar yeah because i mean audio is huge right i think one in three people listen to podcasts i mean i've listened to two today yeah um i listen to them every night when i go to sleep so obviously that's I think in the way that radio has been for a long time, obviously as part of what you do, but it's, it's something that people expect to have in the background and also anticipate an advert, right? And it's kind of, I always think of Kiss 100 and kind of the, like the, the forever ad breaks they used to have. So there's definitely a balance to getting it right, but it's a hugely powerful format, right? Definitely. I think that um, obviously, I mean, it, it's been bittersweet in the last couple of years because obviously what's happened yeah. uh, with the pandemic, but we've been able to benefit that in a way because we've seen a renaissance of audio happening. Um, brands specifically, just from a brand point of view, an advertising point of view, brands are starting to realise the value of being heard as well as seen. And like I said, that's been supercharged by the pandemic. Because <clears throat> like we said, users are getting a lot more content via um, you know, streaming music, a bit like platforms like Spotify, podcasts, as you mentioned, Ben, around, um, you know, there's a plethora of different topics yeah. that you can get interest, uh, have in, uh, take an interest in. If there isn't a podcast out there for whatever niche interest you're in, they will sure to be very soon. Um, I think in general- AKA, we are alchemists. 100%. You yeah. <laughs> yeah, start your own. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I was actually going to jump in and say, I'm, you know, I wonder, and wonder if you have any um, evidence of this, but with the pandemic- um, you would assume that um, audio would go from the background into more of like a foreground role, right? If people are working from home, um, yeah. you know, it's not in the background in an office anymore, um, which means it's more kind of one to one in terms of the in terms of the communication that you're having with that with that audience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've been camped up in my kitchen for the last two weeks. It's turned into Alchemy HQ, and we've got music on nonstop and. Actually, haven't had any ads because I yeah. pay, pay for YouTube Premium because I cannot stand Monday.com ads on their yeah. videos. But I digress. I, th I think that um, again, to your point, like you said, it's uh, audio is ever around us now. It's a lot easier to listen to digital audio in whichever form. 
I personally think digital audio is cool again. You know, radio wasn't yeah. seen as the cool thing, you know, but if we look at maybe audio services, podcasts, audio books, music streaming, they're integrated in our day-to-day lives and voice assistants bring a new dimension to audio technology. Yeah, Digital radio, for example, has enabled easy creation of new radio stations, shows, and genre-specific content. So that's, that's how we've seen this proliferation of audio. Absolutely. And I think... Oh, careful, Joe. Um, I think that... The reason we wanted to speak to you, I think, is just because of, for every reason you've said, right, like audio is a growing market. It's something that is effective. I think it's it's kind of the, the, the perfect little and often, I think, is that when it's in the air around you, it's not really distracting you from what you're doing. And you kind of have that little and often effect, which is the way advertising works, right? It's every now and again, it just gives you a little nudge. Um, by the way, don't, don't remember, don't forget about Nike. Yeah, I think that there's um, <clears throat> two points there. One, uh, from an advertising and like brand engagement point of view, there's definitely a despondence of established media. Yeah. Think of display, people are becoming, well, I'm talking from my, from my own um, experience, becoming more desensitized to digital visual media. The ban of blindness, right? 100%. We're seeing ever-decreasing view-through rates and it's becoming evident that a CTR and a display banner of 0.01% really doesn't justify media investment, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, in terms of opportunities, uh, like I said, uh, this is something we're really excited about, Octave, because we're not just looking to place advertising within you know, um, digital audio streaming. We're looking at many different opportunities for brands moving forward. You've got Sonic Branding. This is something I'm super excited about. Um, We're working towards being, I guess, the digital audio partner for brands, not only delivering goal-achieving campaigns, but also shifting their focus away from the visual, like I mentioned, to audible advertising. Um, I guess the the impact of audio will be greatest when content is complementary to other elements of the experience, sensorially, tonally, and in terms of the surrounding environment. I think the goal here is to use sound as a light switch and to build uh, build brand equity. Absolutely, because I mean, if you think, sorry, Neil, go ahead. Say no, I was else? just I was just going to say, and I've I've done this before, so apologies if it deafens everyone. But <laughs> you know, we talk about sonic branding, and I go, exactly. Like, exactly what that. does that yeah. mean to everyone? Justin Timberlake, I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think definitely something we can learn from some of those big brands. There, I mean. That is what a lot of brands now we're working with um, from a UK perspective, but also have some global reach. It's like, what is our brand sound? Yeah. I think that is what's powerful. It's like, to, to your point, Neil, when you mentioned around, it's that one-to-one, I guess, opportunity for brands that within a radio ad, there's nothing else happening around. It's just that that 30 yeah. second ad slot. So what can you do within that ad slot? And that's where Sonic Branding can play a huge role um, in brand development. So in terms of how this is sold at the moment, is it... Um it's programmatically, I assume, although manual programmatic, I would call it, where there still is a little bit of help from an account manager or a BD guy, whatever it may be, to get the, the wheels rolling, but then the actual execution itself is done programmatically. Well, um, this is what's interesting. The current audio market can be regarded in two ways. First of all, you've got traditional radio that's predicated by IO buys, sponsorship and progressive partnerships. And the other half of, um, I guess, the, the second way, uh, which kind of I'm leading on at Octave, is that it's largely centered around programmatic and personalization, mm-hmm. uh, where there's a lot more capabilities in terms of data application, delivering ads on various devices, which as we've discussed, have, have grown massively in recent years, yeah. as well as activation methods. Um, digital audio is still in its nascent stage, and as such, there's no need for like an open marketplace of digital audio. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the tech, re- tech required uh, at the moment is rather straightforward. Like I said, we currently have one-to-one communication with buyers and agencies and advertisers. That being said, digital audio, as it continues to grow, it's on a similar trajectory to that of video in recent years, whereby more robust and smarter tech will need to come into play. 
and that's where um, we're really excited at Alchemy Exchange, right? I think that OpenRTB is going to be instrumental for us to be able to deliver a product that has parity for display and video formats. But I think as we look to the future, we'd love to support audio as a format that's growing with a huge amount of investment in it that's only going to continue to grow. Um, I mean, one of the stats that blows me away still is that the, the, the digital ad market is $340 billion. Yep. That grew 17% over the yep. pandemic. Yeah, I think which is mad. I think with regards to the UK digital audio industry, um, we personally estimate it in terms of kind of where we've been at. Yeah, um, obviously launching this business during the pandemic, but we estimate it to be just for the UK point of view to be around 100 million uh, by the end of this year, and that's divided up by five main suppliers in the market. So the op- zeros of 100, percent and then the opportunity for blockchain to take a key role in that market is significantly lucrative. So you've guys got a massive opportunity there. Yeah, I think by being able to kind of get in first, as it were, and speak to people like yourself, speak to people like Octave, and help develop complexities in the product and how it's actually bought and sold in a more video-esque way. Yeah. And without having to go through the quagmire that is the programmatic pipes that exist right now. And we will provide for any format of kind of audio in specific here, complete transparency of the data, who bought it, where and why, because it's still kind of like a... Audio's untouched snow, I would say. It's like it's being sold by the people that own all the content and it's being bought directly from those people. So as we get more and more demand sources coming in, as this is a format that grows, it's going to be yeah. key to manage transparency, buyers, sellers, statistics, 100% performance. There. I think considering the wider programmatic landscape, I think firstly approaches to blockchain and programmatic today simply haven't offered the speed that bidders and DSPs need to compete yeah. for inventory. Um, the sheer volume of bid data that needs to be transacted is, transacted is vast and programmatic, as you guys know. If I'm honest, if that can be answered, then one of the key facets of existing programmatic tech capabilities, which have seen such exponential growth in programmatic trading to date, will be matched. And again, yeah. um, a major hurdle overcome. I think, secondly, if blockchain tech can enable more cost-effective more efficient, more overall effective pipes for buyers to trade via than what they're using currently, then again, there's a massive opportunity for advertisers and publishers alike. Absolutely. And that's that's what we're coming to market with, right? It's the next generation of infrastructure that can support the ad tech market. The ad tech market is still booming. Like we were talking, um, what was it, earlier last week and um, there was a report in ExchangeWire, which was Q1 investments into ad tech. And it was something crazy like $11 billion in three months. That's excluding the IPOs that have happened in the last two or three months. So I think like AppBrain, Taboola, was it IAS, was it it Flash Talking, one or two by MediaOcean, big acquisition. Iron Source as well. Iron Source, yeah, Niels. Alma Mater. Yeah, exactly. So like everyone's realizing there's an issue. I think people are now starting to realize that Google and Facebook have made a ton of cash and VCs want to get a piece of that. So they're investing in technology right now that is serving the old way of working, which makes me kind of vibrate with excitement because we're going to come to market with a product that is completely different under the hood to what exists at the moment and provide you with all of the infrastructure that you need, desperately need to serve ads in a more efficient way than exists right now. And I think 
it needs to happen, right? It's $340 billion. Definitely. It's probably going to be $500 billion in two, three years time. Like it's getting bigger, it's getting more digital. Like the pandemic has forced everyone inside, which then forced brands online. Yeah, definitely. Legacy brands. Definitely. One thing I'd add to that is um, in terms of obviously the power of the Google and Facebook and these, these often these platforms that don't own content, they just provide the platforms and the, the audiences on those content. This is something we're challenging massively at Octave. Yeah. We're not going out to the agencies um, and the advertisers and, you know, vying for um, traditional radio budgets because there's no point on taking out the left pocket and putting it into the right pocket. Yeah. What we're doing is we're challenging open marketplace budgets. We're challenging, like I said, the, the, the blind network type budgets and also social budgets and saying, right, have you thought about what your, who your audiences are? Have you thought about, um, I guess, the message you're trying to put out there to these audiences and what kind of unverified content you're brand messages being aligned there. Um, I think secondly as well, I go, if this tech can provide more yield in the system in general, mm -hmm. advertisers' budgets will literally go much further yep. and content providers and publishers can focus on the quality rather than the quantity of their content and platforms rather than then focus on low yield, high volume advertising strategies. I think what's key, as you mentioned, Ben, is just simplifying that process and just ridding those bad actors which don't really add value. Absolutely, yeah. Because I, I like, I'm, I'm just reading a bit of news today. Um, and it's saying that Alphabet reported total revenue of almost 61.9 billion in Q2 2021. It's a nice little bit of change, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 62% <laughs> increase year on year, which puts their Q2 profits jump from $7 billion in 2020 to $18.5 billion this year, right? And they don't produce any content. Mm. They don't create any ads other than ads for themselves. They are literally eating everyone's lunch and then leaving crumbs for everyone, which then get hoovered up by the ad tech tax. And I think that as we've put more thought into that, I think a lot of the time these margins are, are as opaque as they are because of the cost implications of dealing with all of this data again, which makes us hugely excited. We're taking that computing power, bringing it to the edge. We're crying requiring users of the exchange to kind of own their own bandwidth that they need, right? So then access the exchange in a meaningful way. But it doesn't it doesn't stop there because it's not just a bill you pay, right? It's a token that you can accrue from trading fairly and effectively and equally lose um, your tokens if you don't trade fairly and equitably. So you don't buy your bandwidth and pay your bill every month. You own your bandwidth and you can monetize that in ways that you hadn't done before. You really are able to monetize your bandwidth with data rather than monetizing data with bandwidth, which kind of has flipped the script on everything and essentially takes it from an extricative economic model to a generative economic model where everyone wins. There's not a someone sat at the top taking the guy whenever i say this i don't know if you guys are um mad max fans but i think of what isn't it was it furious joe i might have butchered that mm -hmm. who turns at the top of the thing and put the tap on with the water like yeah. that is a bit of a nefarious analogy to make but that's what sometimes it feels like given how much money they're taking and how much publishers can struggle now media agencies have been struggling to make their margins work everyone is just getting squashed out to the edge in the bad way by Google and it's like it's hard to see these numbers when you can see they've been fined billions of dollars for 
um, using your data in a way that's unfair, like not taking privacy laws as seriously as perhaps they should do. They've had their fingers burnt and have now chosen the path of antitrust over privacy because antitrust comes with less fees, by the sounds of it. And, you know, talking of um, uh, companies not taking privacy laws seriously, uh, we're recording this on the 28th of, of July. Um, uh, Facebook's results are due out in about two hours, three yes, hours. Yeah. So um, we probably expect to see the same kind of growth that, that Google are getting. Um, people were saying up to two weeks ago, they were like, oh, it might be a torrid year. We might see some some difficult times for Facebook, but um, the likes of TikTok and stuff come out with results and shown pretty substantial growth. So kind of the industry's pivoted now to think that they're also going to be stealing a march on on uh, their competitors. And yeah. I think the uh, knife fight as well hasn't really uh, taken hold of all the IDFA stuff. So I imagine that that's not really affected this uh, yeah. round of profits. It's like Game of Thrones at the moment. It's the house Facebook versus house Google <laughs> versus house Amazon. And they're all vying for position to be the 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 one true king of the Andals. I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. <laughs> I gave that away. Um, but yeah, I think it's funny and it's like they're, they're distracting themselves with each other rather than creating products and serving the people that pay these revenues. And What's that old Steve Jobs quote about disruption? It's like, if you don't disrupt yourself, somebody else will do it. Exactly right. Enter alchemy. Yeah, enter the dragon. <laughs> Oh, I was going to do a cheers on my soundboard. We don't have it anyway. <laughs> um, so we've, I guess we've touched on a little bit of how mm-hmm. blockchain will have a big part to play in the future of the infrastructure that underpins all digital advertising. But do you think there's anything in particular for the audio market, given your expertise in that sector that we've not spoken about yet that you think could be big in the future? What, in terms of what blockchain could provide? Yeah, to exactly. Like, yeah. Um, I, think, yeah. <clears throat> I think just taking my audio hat off for a second and just thinking more wider scope in terms of programmatic, because yep. that would just, I guess that that is where I'm thinking where many benefits could be and audio will just be a subset of that. I think one of the key benefits, a whole new line of professions, right? So yep. as with only any growing or developing technology, there'll be a need for people in various crypto world related um, positions and the demand for like miners for example blockchain builders and other crypto related drops I I can see that rising if it moves into the advertising world yeah Um, accelerated fees secure transaction distribution I think that kind of tech offers tech companies different ways to transfer funds uh, execute agreements etc and one of the key ones like we said there's been so many studies in the last few years that have shone a light on the 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 ridiculous issues that happens as programmatic and one of the key things is around fraud, theft and protection. Yeah. I think that would just help ensure that information is going through the proper channels um, again without the need for unnecessary intermediaries and bad actors that we've discussed previously. Yeah, definitely. Because I think um, you see there's a, NFTs are blowing up, right? This big craze. And you see like the, the naysayers say, why would I Google an image? I'd write, oh, no, yeah. I'm sorry, I picked up. Well, I just Google the image. Why do I need to own it? And it's like, well, why yeah. do you go to the museum and see the Mona Lisa if you can just Google it? There's there's something in knowing it's the real thing that makes it more compelling, right? And I, when I think of audio and how an NFT might be applicable to that for content creators, let's say, there's no reason why an audio file or a, 
an ad is then an NFT, then you can follow it everywhere. You can make sure the creator gets paid fairly for the content they've produced. You can make sure you know exactly where this is seen, by whom, when. Yeah, I think that- Exactly. And then I was going to say, you know, and that, that argument um, goes as far as, as items you own, right? You know, exactly. if you take, if you take that, that attitude, then goodbye Rolex. I'll just, I'll just buy a, I'll just buy a knockoff. You yeah, know? exactly yeah. right. It's the, it's, and it's one of the reasons why I don't think I'd ever want a fake watch because I would know. Exactly. And it'd keep me up at night. Knowing that there's that one day that you sit next to someone who has the real Rolex Submariner and you're like, shit. Yeah, 100%. If I think of that from a publisher slash content provider yeah. point of view, obviously, as I mentioned, Octave, we're owned by two parent companies, News UK, uh, which is um, where I came from. And then we've got Bauer Media. So between them, they are the second and biggest, um, um, well, two of, the, two of the actual biggest publishers yeah. um, in the UK. So what we're doing is that we own and operate all of the publisher content, all of the data and all of the audio inventory that sits within our parent companies. And with that, we've come to market and we have, we have rates, right? I won't yep. go into what the rates are, but we've had to... Fairly priced. Fair, it's fairly <laughs> priced. And I won't use the word premium because this, this word premium just gets on my nerves. It's, yep. it's about what, what does premium constitute, right? It's the quality data, it's the quality of the inventory, it's the verification of the audiences that sit within our, our publishing brands. Yeah. And that's exactly to your point how we've decided to position Octave is that we don't have the cheapest rates in market or the most quote-unquote cost-effective, but it's because we value the proposition that we put out to market. Yeah. And brands, advertisers, agencies, buyers, etc., have agreed with us and they've, they've actually said, right, they've accepted it and they're buying it, which is yeah, why yeah. we've hit our targets for the last, for the last year. And, yeah, we're, yeah. and we're, we're, we're just growing uh, on month on month. It's not that we're being greedy in that sense. It's just like, what do you value your products or service or whatever it might be? Yeah. And then position it accordingly. And I think as well, this kind of differentiation into a model where an advert doesn't sit below the fold of a page, so mm. you don't have viewability problems. You know, you know, yeah. you know, it, it fits into it fits into an ad slot into a break, so you know it's going to be listened to. Yes, people might walk away from the you know from yeah. the speaker, but um, it's definitely and you know, like you say, that the word premium is horrible, but. As an ex-agency planner, um, if someone's coming and talking to me about that, I'd be like, "Oh, this this is good because I know that there's you know there's a real audience out there who will be engaging with my brand, and it's not going to disappear on a on you know yeah. on a website on a long tail of the internet somewhere." Yeah, I've, this is a, a bit of a tangent, a tangent, but yeah. viewability that that is a word that winds me up. Because it's not a word, firstly. Google it, right? We just coin new we just coin new terms in me, don't yeah, we? Like, what was wrong with visibility? Yeah. And <laughs> as, as a dyslexic person, it always brings up the spelling error and it used to stress me out quite a lot, given that I probably have to write it at least five times in an email. Yeah, I just it's and I think that is like a a wider issue of complexity for complexity's sake in the ad tech world, right? And yeah. then you, you can you can see that from even the way, like the Loomscape is complexity for complexity's sake, right? That's that's where the ad tech tax has come in. That's where the 10% from discrepancies has come in. That's yeah. what's allowed a vacuum for 20% of fraud to sneak in. Like it's complexity for complexity's sake is pointless. Yeah. One thing I just want to take a step back on there is that I know we're, we're talking about the complexity of the programmatic landscape, yeah. but to pick up on... Um, point that um, Neil made in terms of 
viewability, visibility, and uh, I guess the whole ridiculousness of it. What we're working towards at Octave is we're, we're looking at kind of research of how and why audio is quite powerful. Yeah. So then if you guys have heard, there's a research company called Neuro Insight who we're working with. And their research... I've done work with those guys before. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's pretty much, it's genius, the kind of stuff they're working Insightful, on. you might say. 100%. And they're, and they're, <laughs> I'm here. And right. I've uh, got my badum-dum. Fuck. Anyway, carry on. Their research focuses on how, how the brain functions and the subconscious. Basically, it represents reactions that people may or may not be aware of, but which can nevertheless impact decisions and behaviour. So you're thinking about the power of audio in terms of like long-term memory encoding, engagement, approach and withdrawal to the sounds they might hear in the ad, emotional intensity, and all just in attention in general. Yeah. So again, it just these kind of fantastic companies which I definitely think had value in in the in the media in the digital media landscape. hundred percent. It's showing it's showing the, uh, the 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 sheer benefits and the the I guess the opportunities within digital audio versus these old formats which are just demanding attention viewability slash visibility which don't really provide much do they yeah and uh, you know neuroinsight they, they have these things that look like swim caps and they're actually like eegs so you know when, when you go uh, yeah. when you go when you go to the doctor with a brain problem and they wire you up to see how your brain works it's exactly the same as that yeah uh, and they can they just create these amazing visuals of the brain and like like paul said with this like approach and withdrawal is it's really amazing because adverts impact in a very different way so um we did a project with them when i was at mindshare um with ar based content and you could see that when you put an ar ad in front of someone you get real withdrawal it's like a real shock moment um and then with other channels you see this real approach and this real kind of lean in um like to say that approach and withdrawal neither one of them is necessarily a bad thing um but it's just it's just very interesting to see the way that the brain processes these different creatives and these different formats with advertising 100 percent, and that's the that's the important information i think right like a lot of what what's great about digital advertising is the granularity of reporting and then equally the worst thing about digital advertising is the granularity of reporting and i don't mean the granularity of seeing all the data i mean the granularity of seeing a 25 second completion or a 30 second or 25 percent completion or this got a hundred thousand impressions and four clicks. It's like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, and what you're talking about makes way more sense. Yeah. And I think is, is has been backing up outdoor ads, TV ads, and now audio ads to prove value. And it's just yeah. then you have digital as like this outlier. And I think that given the the news of Google um, pushing back their cookies, I think I think about a month ago, and people were worried. Um, about the future of the open web and how it was monetized. And this, there, there seems to be like, for every reason that you spend on TV and outdoor should be the same reason that you spend on digital, but you shouldn't or require the same level of granularity because you do not have it on these other formats that you trade on. So like, yeah. if you can see all of the information and then you can have more insight around engagement rather than just the vanity metrics. And then you can compare all of those channels together, which through Alchemy Exchange and what's made possible by the hypergraph, we can have different data sets essentially stuck together like Lego bricks. You as the CMO, you as the account director can for the first time see everything. You can get a true picture of how your audio is performing versus your video, versus your connected TV, versus your outdoor in the future to 
effectively spend your money. And I think, Neil, you always talk about this use it or lose it mentality in an agency where if you didn't spend all your budget at the end of a period, then you didn't get it for the following quarter, which to me just doesn't seem like a smart data-driven way of spending money, right? Well, and, and it goes it goes even further than that, right? That that pressure would come from our clients. So yeah. the, the CMO, uh, Chief Marketing Officer of a, of a company, generally the biggest client that an agency has, will pitch to their board for their marketing budget for the year. Mm-hmm. If they don't spend that marketing budget in that year, it sets a really bad precedent for actually getting the same or additional budget for the following year, right? Because yeah. the board will be like, well, you didn't spend last year, so why should I, why should I carve out a billion dollars for you this year? You only spent 600 million last year. Mm. Um, so there's a real pressure from the CMO to deliver the campaign in full, even if that campaign might not be delivered in the most efficient way. Yeah, And you bizarre. see it, you know, you see it you know, throughout the ad um, industry, you know, it, it's very interesting how campaigns seem to pick up pace and deliver yeah, well yeah. before the campaign end. You know, it just, just seems to perform in a better way. Well, I, I think, wonder how that could be. I think that the, the across exchanges in general, the most expensive day for you to buy any inventory is the last day of the month. And then the last day of the quarter is even more. So that, I mean... Because the demand December is yeah, an absolute yeah. nightmare as yeah. well. The smart, the, obviously, yeah. I would say that if you're the smart CMO, mm. you you try and get away a significant percentage of your budget on the 1st of April in Q2. But I guess um, one of the reasons why they probably don't do that, which is a flawed reasoning, is that have they had enough, quote-unquote, learnings from all this abundance of data that, exactly. they, that they might be amassing throughout the quarter or throughout all yeah. the subsequent campaigns they might run. I think from a uh, seller publisher data company point of view this is something that i'll be honest we i've been at a position to have to take last minute budgets because again we're satisfying the the wants and the needs of the agencies or the cmos back uh, backloading this budget that's not a position we really want to be in we don't necessarily want to for them to be bidding for inventory and having to pay more for the data and inventory at first secondly we want to work with them more collaboratively rather than yeah. just get budget through i mean yes essentially we will take that budget because we're here to make money but if there was a a, a a more consistent way of working throughout the quarter or throughout that year um you know evenly weighting campaigns and working with them and understanding exactly what they what they're trying to drive what their what's what's the term real business outcomes yeah yeah, yeah. if the technology blockchain can offer that uh as opposed to what's currently in the current programmatic setup, then all for the benefit for advertisers and, and for publishers alike. I think it will, you know, like it, it, we've had conversations um, at the pub with people at working agencies. And I think of one in particular, a chap that was working on a big, um, big banking client and they spent six months, best part of six months, trying to audit where exactly their data had been spent, data had been spent, money had been spent and, how it had performed in particular. And it sounded like it was a slog and almost unbearable process that after six months, they had 15% of the data. So how do you make an effective decision that is not essentially confirmed bias from what you've seen from a tiny data set? You're looking at 90 to 85% of the data you don't see, which I'm telling you is where all the insights are at because that's, that's a more statistically significant chunk of information. So if you see that for the first time, plus then some of the insights around engagement that you were talking about with neuro insights, like then you do have valuable information. You have the ability to make a decision that is informed rather than guesstimated, which just, and that's not to undermine the work that people do because people put a lot of thought into these decisions. It's just, they haven't got access to the information you need. And 
I always use this uh, analogy. Um, it's like if you were going to buy a new house and the estate agent took you to the front door and said, just right, look through the letterbox, let me know what you think. Yeah. And then <laughs> we'll accept your um, bid soon after. Like, yeah, probably not going to do that, mate. Like, yeah. <clears throat> what's wrong? Whereas what we're saying is we're the estate agent with the keys and the floor plan and the pictures and the survey and we know what the neighbours are like and we know what the local schools are like. So you're like, okay, right now I know all I need to know to see if this is the place where I want to live. And then you can make an effective decision. So we're asking people to basically buy a house by looking through the letterbox to really thrash that metaphor. I'm very guilty of doing that a lot, but I think it just, it makes sense to me to picture it like that. A hundred percent then. So then I, I guess I'll just pick up on what kind of issues that I think are presented by the current ways of working to your point. So to, exactly to your point, Ben, I love that analogy. I think there's what needs to be answered is there's a lot of distrust, misunderstanding, confusion and complexity within yep. the current ecosystem. There's unnecessary elements that are additive to the advertising process, which just, just serve to abandon the core premise of what I believe should be the vital value exchange between people decent content and the publishers that create this content. Um, I do believe an ad-funded mod, uh, internet model can work. Yeah, yeah. It just needs to function in a better and more sustainable way than Absolutely, it is at the yeah. moment. You know, the internet is free and that's why it's great. And that's how advertising can provide that. It's just a flawed system at the moment. I think another issue, um, and this is definitely a big challenge uh, moving forward, it's the agencies and I guess the, the lack of transparency of fees. There's the managed service and the um, agency training desk model is still a very strong strong position for advertisers, mm-hmm. um, I guess, or, or should I say the uh, their agency clients. Um, there are global deals with agency oper- operating companies and training desks. Some of those training desks often run as separate businesses to the media agencies where blind networks run on X percentage fee models. Therefore, this status quo needs to be challenged and this will be a tough but achievable feat, I, I believe. Um, the agencies are basically the conduits of media ad spend. Therefore, these agencies will still need to make as much revenue as they do via the current via the current state of play. And I think, um, thirdly, it's just lack of re- lack of regulation. I think that these ten- technologies are in their nascent stage, but they will need to be regulated and answered to in the numerous kind of frameworks which we've been working to and basically hold the industry account in recent years. There's been IB's Transparency Consent Framework, uh, the Media Trust and AIP Protocol and their Cookie Consulting Program. All these things need to need to be applied to blockchain as well. Absolutely, which I think probably leads us quite nicely into the last question I want to ask you is that aside from advertising, um, aside from the application of blockchain, what's your take on the crypto market? Well, we, we know you're a fan, but yeah, it'd be good to hear what you think, man. Yeah, like I said, I mean, just thinking of it, I mean, you know, my, my understanding of it is quite limited, but when I think of my take on it in terms of what would be the benefits to, to I guess, digital media, digital advertising, and I guess a digital audio, as, as I mentioned, a new line of professions, I think that's definitely going to be a fantastic thing yep. in terms of just feeding into this, this great industry that I, that I love. And I think that will just see it grow and we'll just yeah. see some even smarter talent come into the market. Like I said, and just making it a lot more simpler to transact with accelerated fees, easier transactions, distribution. I think they're the key things that I think that can really, really kind of benefit the, um, the advertising market. Absolutely, because I think I've, and I can already see Charlie and Neil rolling their eyes, but like I, I, I don't, Okay, so what I'm trying to say is that like history doesn't really repeat, but quite often it rhymes, right? And if you look to the past 
and you think about um, the plague in the 14th century that spawned the Renaissance era from what was a time of real despair, gave birth to modern banking as we know it, changing in the way that people think, technological innovation like we haven't seen before, an entire generation of art came through that was beautiful, right? And it's happened again in the USA, right? Like you had the Spanish flu that happened, then off the back of that, there was a huge out from despair kind of comes innovation, I think, because you try and distract yourself from what you, the situation you're in at the moment. And I think if we look at the pandemic that we've all currently still living through, it's been a horrendous period of time. But what we've seen is um, the meme has exploded, right? It already exploded before um, the pandemic had happened. But memes, I guess, have made stuff popular that wasn't popular before. And a meme is a digital bit of art, right? Which is an NFT, right? And NFTs are largely based off of the decentralized finance movement that's happened. And decentralized finance is incredible, right? It, 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 it provides very, very neat solutions to very, very complicated problems. It's, I mean, you could, you could draw a comparison to the plague, right? Where there was new banking that came off the back of that. So like, I like to dub this period that we're in now as the meme maisons, TM. <laughs> <laughs> but I, like in all seriousness the memes they've had meme coins right if you're in a yeah, meme yeah. you become Doe famous and don't like, coins exactly well. like and worse i mean my least favorite one of all time has been cum rocket i can't believe that's the thing it's absolutely outrageous but it's it's drawing attention and it's drawing wider awareness of the defy space and what will happen is once there's awareness you will attract the minds as you say Mm. that have found, oh shit, I didn't know you could solve this problem this way. Let me develop a solution for that. And like, we've seen it. We got incubated by Constellation. We were the first project of, I think now 80 plus, right? And that is mm. just from people going, oh shit, there's another way to do it. And that makes way more sense to me than, any way, than anyone ever did it before. Why the hell would I do it the other way now? And I think that is irreparable. Like that, that snowball has started rolling. And I think what we're hugely excited about is the application of decentralized finance to a largely centralized, enormous data marketplace that hides in plain sight on your favorite website, on your TV, when you're watching ITV Hub, on your audio, when mm -hmm. you're listening to your favorite podcast, right? It's always yeah. there. You don't quite see it, but it's this huge hundreds of billions of dollar market a year that's growing. Um, mm -hmm that is ready to be innovated. And I think, yeah, I said, we, we, I said I was vibrating and I haven't stopped for the last probably six months. But like bringing this new, efficient, more effective, transparent, instantly reconcilable infrastructure to a market that's in desperate need of it is going to be huge. Like I appreciate that we're IV and Kool-Aid over here, but like we speak to our clients, we speak to publishers, we speak to advertisers, we speak to people like yourself and mm -hmm. I've known you, I've known you a long time. We've all known you a long time. I think you know me well enough to say, Ben, shut up. You've totally lost the plot. What are you talking about? Like, I definitely think we're crazy, but it seems like we're the right kind of crazy and kind of coming up with a bit of a nutty idea that is going to solve, seems nutty, right? But then you, you roll. It, 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 it might seem at first thought, but when you unpack it like you guys have, and I guess the experience that you guys have that covers different elements of of, yeah. of the media industry that's why you guys are such best place to move this forward it just makes sense and now's the time for it love that so paul i think to round us off um 
gonna put you on the spot. What's your favorite advert? My favorite advert? Yeah. It's gonna have to be an audio advert, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I reckon, yeah. I mean, they're good adverts, right? I think, I know I'm not taking, stealing your idea, um, Neil, but I'm, McDonald's is one of our biggest clients. Shout out to McDonald's and Omnicom. Love McDonald's. Um, get a Macca's now, quite yeah. love a good Big um, Mac. But it is just all of their ads in general. They, the main focus of their advertising strategy with us and they are, a, they, they have a significant audio strategy and it's, it's leveraging that sonic branding, which has become so synonymous, synonymous with their brand globally. So yeah. Any, McDonald's. Any and all McDonald's ads. That explains why you're 24 stone. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think on that note, um, we will round off episode three. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. Our live studio audience are going absolutely crazy for you. Not pictures. This has been episode three. If you want to reach out to Paul Dimmock, I'd hit him up on LinkedIn. He's in our Telegram channels. So just at him if you have any questions about audio. Hadn't told him I was going to do that, but now you're on the hook for it. Sorry, mate. <laughs> and please follow us on Twitter. We're at Alchemy Exchange. Join our Telegram channels. We are really stepping up the content that we're producing. We've got a lot coming out this week. It's the 28th of July, so you probably would have seen it by the time this goes out. But we are really going to try and we will educate the market on the power of this new age infrastructure and for our friends that have come from the blockchain world the application of this to an advertising ecosystem that is creaking at the seams if you will so this has been uh we are alchemists this was episode three and i've got our jazzy outro to play us out thank you all for listening thanks everyone cheers, cheers guys. guys thanks guys